Today, the topic is training, leveling up. So join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new to our program, I'm Brandon Ellis, and I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. Before we start today's episode, I just want to ask that you consider hitting the follow button and the subscribe button, depending upon the platform you're listening upon. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you hear, please go to the show page and scroll to the bottom. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. It's season three, so welcome, everyone. Uh, We took a brief little off time, but this is Brandon Ellis, your host, and I'm here, of course, with Miss Beth Elliott. Hey, Brandon. Hey, everybody. It's glad to, I'm glad to be back. How about you? You're glad to be back? I'm glad to be back as well. So got a little bit of a bit of an off time there. I uh, can't say that I spent a lot of time outdoors, though. You no, know, it's it's way too hot. Swelteringly <laughs> hot. Um, and then also floods. We've had some horrible floods oh, in goodness. our state, in the mid part of our state. So our prayers go out to those folks as they recover from that. That was crazy. They got, I think it was 17 inches of rain in, across the course of like seven hours. It was, yeah. It was incredible, and I don't think they had a whole lot of warning at all either. No, those poor people in Humphreys um, County. The uh, well, yeah, it was definitely flash flooding, mm-hmm. which I've only ever seen on you know documentaries. Movies, yeah, yeah. And, and that's usually out in the, the deserts and things of that nature. But yeah, it, it's a horrible thing. There was a lot of uh, unfortunately loss of life and all kinds of damage. But there were people that were able to survive and thrive and and mm-hmm. and help each other out. Yeah, so they're that's doing. What we're, vo- we're the volunteer state. That's right. And so people are stepping up to that and living up to that. So. Well, certainly they are, and um, uh, so we're glad to see that as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, certainly want to keep those folks in mind. So um, season three. So we when we signed off of season two, uh, I think we had said there was going to be some new and exciting things coming. And so we're going to kind of wait, and uh, those are in store. So instead of just tell you what all of those are going to be, we're going to we're going to kind of let you uh, stick with us this season as they kind of unfold. But we do have a few things we want to we want to share with you. So we've we've got some new partners that we've been dealing with that are exciting. So uh, Smart Shift Robotics, uh, and if you're not familiar with Smart Shift Robotics, go to our website elatech.com, and you can read all about them there. Um, we use them a lot with, with, with robots. They're not robots themselves, but uh, especially with our collaborative collaborative robots, to be able to move those robots quickly uh, for a lot of our customers. They're using a collaborative system in one place, and they want to remove it at the base level and move it to another position. They have these dovetail locking dovetail slides that are really, really cool. Uh, that allow you to do that and still maintain all of your your datum points for your for your tool spaces and and your your Cartesian systems and and whatnot and tool center points those kind of things and so it makes that very easy to do. Also, it's a mechanical end of arm tool change quick tool change system and so uh, there's a lot of quick tool changes systems out there. Most of them are are pneumatic, uh, but theirs is mechanical and so when you take all the valving and the and the, the porting and all that kind of stuff out, they become pretty doggone affordable and so uh, and very easy to use. So even if it's a manual change, 
uh, with a collaborative robot that can be done quite easily by, by pretty much anyone. Yeah, their videos seem like they can switch them really fast. Well, that's their automatic oh, system okay. if the robot does the switching. But even if you don't want to to spend the money on the automatic sec, you know, the automatic equipment, uh, you can do it by hand, and you don't have to use special tools or anything like that. And so, so suddenly, when special tools are required, usually specialized training is required, and um, there is a push to try to simplify in automation, and rightfully so, because it takes time. Usually you have more operators, be it material handlers, uh, machine tenders, things of that nature, uh, than you do maintenance folks. And so if, if it's something that's so easy and simple and repeatable that it's just a matter of click and unclick, then the operator, especially in a collaborative system the, with a collaborative robot, the operator could be involved with that as well. And so it, it keeps from having to devote maintenance time to that. Okay. And changeovers count toward, we talked a lot last year, last walk season, time. about, about uh, ROI. Okay, okay. And yes, walk time, tack time, and things of that nature. And so changeovers have to come into play because that's downtime. So if it, takes, if it takes an hour, two hours to switch from you know, a product or a line or machine from one running one part to running another, that's a lot. Yeah. And so to be able to do that quickly and efficiently and come right back up and run under a new program, but but still, uh, you know, come up and run is 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 a big deal. They're compatible with a, a lot of different robot types, aren't they? They are, and and not just ones we re- the ones we we represent. So certainly, Fanuc and Scout Motorman uh, and Hanwha, which we are partners with. But uh, even so far as that, uh, they go with some of the other some of our com- competitors. But we still support them as far as the smart shift goes. So other collaboratives, other industrials, if you have a, a line other than FANUC, Motoman, Yaskawa Motoman, and Hanwha, again, give us a call, let us know what your models are, and we can tell you uh, if, they, if they're supported or not. Sounds good. So, of course, I mentioned Motoman and FANUC. Uh, Motoman specifically, Yaskawa Motoman uh, has some new and exciting products that they are rolling out this year. We can't wait to, uh, to get that word out. And so uh, both in robotics and advanced motion. And so Yaskawa, of course, is, is known for servo motors and VFDs, but also they branded for years as Motoman, so everyone knows the Motoman brand. But uh, it's actually Yaskawa. Motoman's always been Yaskawa, uh, Yaskawa-owned. And so um, they've uh, started referring to themselves as one company now. So Yaskawa Motoman is what we call them, or Yaskawa. Uh, but they've got some new products coming. We'll be talking about those as the season goes on. And, and also, Hanwha, we had talked about them. We're doing great with that that collaborative line. It is, it's my favorite one so yeah, far. Yeah, you're working on some welding stuff. We're getting them. ready to start some welding. We're getting ready. We've, we've done some just general material handling. We're, we're looking at uh, uh, machine tending and those kind of things with some customers. And so uh, just the ease of use, again, even from a maintenance standpoint, uh, it's so much easier to use the direct teach capability, but their interface is second to none as far as simplicity. Now, I don't want to talk down the other collaborative lines that, that are out there, but, uh, but they, they really have, have done something special and it's getting a lot of people's attention. So we're excited about that as well. And certainly if that's something uh, you know, you're interested in, you want to see a demo or something, let us know. We can schedule a demo at your place or ours and go from there. Sounds good. So let's get back to our 
really today's title. Yeah. So today's title is Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be unsupported. Unsupported. So what's that mean? That means that uh, we need training. (laughs) (laughs) So unsupported. So support is always a big deal. I know uh, through through 20-some-odd years of of being involved with customers and supplying equipment to customers that a lot of times they ask us. Uh, It usually usually starts as an afterthought, and then all of a sudden uh, it's an occurrence, you know, usually about the time you're delivering. Uh, but for some, it's it's a question from the beginning. How are we going to support this? How are you going to train our guys to be able to support this this piece of automated equipment, this robot, things of that nature? It's extremely important, and it's overlooked a lot. Um, it does fall on the company uh, that's the end user that's getting the equipment to make sure that they have their people trained. We are very much about training. Mm-hmm. And so we try to start those conversations earlier than later, uh, but also because we have the capability to do a lot of the trainings. But, you know, if why is it important? You're getting, you're paying a lot of, you're spending a lot of money uh, for equipment on your floor. Now, your machine builder or systems integration company that you work with, be it us or others, usually the, the builder is going to be required, if you don't do this, you should, is required to su- provide support, usually for free, for a certain amount of time, and I, it varies from from company to company based upon the product that they're that they're selling. But if it's a custom piece of equipment, then certainly so many months of free support. But you should make training part of that. You you don't want to just say I've got twelve months of free support, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, you need could- to utilize that time to train your people up to support it. Is that support? Is that typically through the phone, or how is that done? Is it based on whatever company did the machine, built the machine? Well, it's based upon the company, but, I mean, now you're jumping into the cybersecurity big oh, yeah. big battle. And, and that is if you give, you know, most machine builders would just as soon you let them remote into the machine and do remote support now, especially today. Uh, and that's always been, we've, we've done that in some way, shape, or form for, for a decade or more. But... I tell people a decade ago, two decades ago, decade and a half, whatever, back then, I'm old enough to say way back then, parents also said to their children, you know, in the morning on a Saturday, go out and play. Just make sure you're back in time for dinner. We don't do that anymore. No. So with cybersecurity, with 2021... Uh, becoming the most profitable year for cybersecurity or for for the uh, ransomware for hackers. Yeah, it's a booming industry now. So doing remote support that's risky business. Is risky. <laughs> uh, but so support of some type though, and and so suddenly if your twelve months of support or eight months of support or whatever it is is built into being remote support. Only even more so, you need to get you need to make sure you you can get your folks trained up because you don't want. I mean, the ROI starts going to pieces if the machine's down all the time; yeah. it won't run. And so here you've got a situation where you've justified your return on investment, you've done all your 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 math, you've worked all your numbers, and suddenly you can't keep the machine running, and that's because you may lack. Uh, you may have top-notch qual- uh, maintenance folks, but they don't have the skill set to be able to connect up and 
and basically use the laptop to to figure out what's going on with the machine. And so training is a big part of that. We I, I tie it together with our mission statement. Our mission statement is to empower our clients. And so empowerment through training is a is a great way. You've heard the adage, give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you'll never go hungry. And so that's training. It's about how you train is how we kind of take a different stance. But uh, but it, it doesn't take away from the, the importance. The other thing you hear a lot of people talking about today is the lights out factory, especially yeah. in the midst of the labor shortage. For sure. And that's not a new term. <laughs> it's not a new term at all. I mean, I think we mentioned in season one, I mentioned that, you know, there there was this, used to be we talked about a lights out factory. Well, used to be started back up this year. It started repeating itself. History started repeating itself. And I kind of chuckle on that because you can have automate. You, you should have, if you can, if you can afford it and justify it, you should have automated systems. But a lights out factory, meaning nobody's there, it's just the robots doing what they need to do, is not feasible in my mind. If for no other reason, because that robot's going to break one day. The tooling's going to break. It needs to be maintained. And so you need to have a trained maintenance staff. The other, the other thing is it's it, it can't go out and shop for raw materials. <laughs> and so uh, whether it's food, you know, some kind of industrial uh, substance or whatever, I mean, somebody's got somebody's to keep this stuff going, going in. So you're always going to have logistics. And then somebody's got to get it out of there. Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe one day. Amazon will figure out some way for it to zoop in and pick up everything and oh, no. zoop out. They're going back to uh, brick and mortar now. Oh, are they? They're talking about it, yeah. Well, it's just tough. It's just tough to. I mean, I love automation. We had a conversation just uh, at the beginning of the week. It's it's it is tough to take an automated system, and when you really look look into what a person's doing, uh, truly emulate the human being. Uh, emulating touch, you know, the, not just feel the the feeling of touch, but how ambidextrous a human is, the human hand, uh, getting rid of the human eye, uh, the brain, you know, you, yeah, the wiggle uh, jiggle. That's right. All those things make it very difficult. And but then there's also just relationship, face to face kind of stuff and everything like that. But uh, I'm getting off topic. Nevertheless, lights out factories. I think from an automation standpoint, we can get to closer. As far as machines that are, are more efficient, work more efficiently, uh, automatically, but uh, but especially when it comes to trained individuals, there's always going to be a need for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is Elitech doing? Well, we to have help a, with the training. Yeah, we we you know we founded right before the pandemic. We founded what we call Elitech University. When I say founded, I mean we've got our our training syst- uh, training center. We've got um, what, our website? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was going to talk about... Oh, the website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so let's... Okay. So so the website, of course, elotech.com, going to our training... Is it training center? Uh, I think it's technical training. Technical training, yeah, yeah is the menu. Uh, but that's that leads to, to links to Elotech University. And so Elotech University offers a lot of a lot of things, uh, but but again, specific courses. Uh, they're largely based upon the products that we represent and we partner with. So I mentioned a few of them already. 
I don't know that we're going to have a training on smart shift robotics. Because they're so easy to use. I don't think you need a whole lot of training. <laughs> That's right. But we would have a training on Hanwha robotics or FANUC or the Yaskawa Motor Man, mm-hmm. Yaskawa Motion. Uh, those would be examples of, of the Red Lion. Red Lion, yeah, IoT with our IoT, things of that nature. And so there's specific courses based upon products. There's also topical courses that we're that we are offering. So industrial networks uh, will be a will be a course that we offer. Uh, cybersecurity is one we're we're working with to try to decide if if we really need to fit that need or if it's being met otherwise. And, and that's the thing. There's other other outlets for training. But for us, uh, for the products that we represent, we consider ourselves experts. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be. We support them. We sell them. We support them. Uh, whether or not you know we're involved with the integration or the the, the building or anything like that, uh, we 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 are the experts. And so, at the times where we're working directly with uh, the machine builder, custom machine builders, or the systems integrators themselves, then you know we need to be experts. And so. Our engineers are and our trainers are those experts, and so we can deliver a very effective training in that regard. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of different than than the yeah. other courses. Yeah. So how is it different from online courses? Well, online courses now. Online courses have gotten a lot more creative. Well, especially now, yeah, with yeah. the with the pandemic and stuff. But you don't you don't get that hands on. You you don't. Um, you know, Yaskawa started a, a a remote training some some years ago. Oh, so you could remote into a machine and like a simulate right. uh, like a simulator type yeah, thing. Yeah, just just like you would reserve time on the unit, and then they have webcams, and so you can see the motors turning oh. and spinning, and you can see the you know different things happening, and and if you have errors, you're seeing. The front of the it's like you're sitting there in front of the device, and they have that's part of their coursework that we offer to our to our customers and users. It's certainly available. Some of it's free, some of it's not. But uh, the difference is most of your online courses, the cur- cur- curriculum is already done. Okay, and it's so pre- it's preset. It, it's not it's not specific for the individuals and really, their needs. It'd be the same if you went there. But you're taking a, a class, and so that class may be more focused on programming their system versus troubleshooting. Or okay. it's too much of a technical deep dive for, for someone who's just wanting to support the machine or support the product. And then they're usually quite lengthy. Oh, like months? No, 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 days. Oh, okay, okay. So, but but uh, rarely are they one day. Sometimes rarely are they even two. Uh, many times they're three to four day courses. And of course, remote's better than having to go there from a monetary standpoint. And just, you know, it's it's a lot more, it's more relaxing to go home every night. Who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. And so, um, so the remote or the online courses, it's according to who you're doing. If you're doing online courses through the manufacturer of the product, that's one thing. Again, they try to make that as closely matched to going there. But I still feel like going there is more effective because it is actual hands-on. And number two, you get this conversation. If it's an online coursework, even if there's a live instructor, you know, you don't ever get a chance. There's there's not, we'll take a five-minute break and you have a chance to go talk to the, uh, the instructor and ask them specific questions. You don't have someone walking around the room if you're having trouble, that kind of stuff. And so I still, I still applaud in-person classes. But again, that is if we're classifying online coursework as training through the manufacturer. Okay. 
There's also online courses that are really part of educational folks, so community colleges and universities and things of that nature. And I really haven't seen a lot of those. I, I, I don't know. I know everybody went online last year because they had to. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should use that as a measuring stick because that was that was unusual. <laughs> that was an absolute have to case because of the pandemic and not necessarily something they had been planning for this mm-hmm. whole time. Now, from that, I think some things have derived, but I haven't. I don't. I don't know enough about what those are and haven't had that experience to really be able to say good or bad on that. Okay. What about what's the difference with uh, the technical, the community colleges? You mean if you're going there? Yeah. Yeah. Like in person. Um, well, usually the community colleges, that's a semester, multiple semesters. It's part of a, uh, a degree program. And so uh, usually the, my, my experience, again, between the university level type courses and the community college type courses uh, is the community college type courses, usually they have donated product. And so you may actually get your hands on PLCs and robots and things of that nature. Uh, but the curriculum is going to be fairly basic. And university, and I don't know, I haven't been to a university in quite a number of years as a student, but uh, it's more theory. We we actually have our intern program, which is just a small program. We don't really promote it that much because we, we usually only have one or two openings. Uh, and again, COVID has, has made that interesting. Usually that's across the summer months where we try to work with students at local universities to help turn to help turn the theory into real world application and that is worth its weight in gold as far as finding jobs and 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 not just finding jobs from the students perspective but from the the hiring uh, entities perspective to be able to hire uh, an engineer a young engineer uh, which which means they're ready to go. You know, they've got more energy than us old folks, um, hopefully. But but they've had some level of application, and they're not having to have those aha moments. Because honestly, the aha moments that I had as a, as a new engineer were because of the influence of the now exiting baby boomer generation. Well, they're gone. Yeah, they're leaving fast. And our generation didn't do a good job learning all of the reasons why that happens are putting that together. And so I think some of the younger folks, we're seeing that now. We're seeing that with, you know, PLCs. I go back to PLCs. PLCs are programmed with ladder logic, but students aren't being taught ladder logic, not in the universities, not largely not in the community colleges. But yet 99% of all equipment in the, on the globe still runs from a a PLC that's programmed with ladder. So why does this make sense? It doesn't. But as a result, what we're seeing is we're seeing students coming out. They are being trained in web development languages, programming languages. And so XML, Python, all these kind of things. And so they're trying to do what they know and what they were taught. And so they're trying to figure out how to how to do automation systems with a very structure, structured text-based web language, while it's got it, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a, it's a tool in the toolbox as far as programmers are concerned. But every tool, I heard a guy say one time, just because, you know, just because you, you only have a hammer doesn't mean everything's a nail. You know, you need screwdrivers, you need saws, you need 
various things uh, in your toolbox. And so everything's not going to be, be accomplished by a single language. And those languages were developed for web-type environments and not necessarily running machines. Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to, I want to get too delved into it, but ladder logic actually runs and does its solving as far as how it's it's processing the code in a close to, or we say parallel environment, whereas web-based is very much sequential. And so it becomes not a very good tool at times for controlling machines, and it needs to be taught. And uh, But if we are not, we, we have not taught them that, and so now you're starting to see this younger generation trying to find ways to they're still expected to get the machines to run. Yeah. And so they're trying to program with the only way they've been taught, which is web-based languages, in my example. Or maybe it's more advanced, you know, higher-level ap- application-type development languages, maybe C-sharp or something along those lines, but uh, .NET-type type programming. It's still just not—it works. Oh, but it seems like it would be more difficult. It's or, more difficult. Okay. Because it's not You're exactly trying to take this one thing and fit it into something that it's not. You can meant drive for. a screw into a wooden board with a hammer. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's much easier. So it's much easier to drive a nail into a board. But if you have a screw, it's much easier done with a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't feel like that my generation has done a good job convincing the universities, and of course my generation, a lot of my generation are the professors in those universities, to teach the things they need to teach. Now, don't leave me bad course comments. I'm I'm being general here. <laughs> I'm sure there are some universities out there that are doing some of this, but I don't think it's a focus. But I don't know that it should be either, because universities are preparing, especially in engineering, they're really preparing engineers with the theory the aha moments were me saying, oh, that's what that professor meant when we did all those equations and talked about this is how this works and that works and all this, you know, theory. When you got out into the real world? Yeah, and then, then when you realize that theory is happening, it makes sense. And so um, that's what universities should be doing because they're really preparing. Not They're not just preparing people to go out into the workforce. They're preparing the the professors, the researchers of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so researchers and professors don't need to be really ingrained in real-world experience because that could actually hamper them in their creativity. It's like training an, an artist, you know, someone taking art classes, but only learning to draw other people's paintings, and then they never learn to express themselves through art. And so you would never have any new art. Um, you would only have modifications of what other people have done. And certainly we assume there's still new art to be had out there. Uh, same thing comes with researchers. I mean, we want them to find stuff that we hadn't even thought up yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so theory is where all that starts, down to the little bitty pieces of energy, uh, the physics part of it. But not every college student going through college is going to go into research and development or academia. They're going to go out into the world. And so we got to find a way to get that together. So some of the classes, our internship program, uh, but some of these classes, we've worked closely with with a few uh, folks from some of the close universities about exploring options there. Now, we don't have anything officially done. I'm kind of ranting here, so this is a rant, sorry. Uh, but uh, but I do think that, that we're seeing the effects of this. 
Because I don't feel like if I thought a machine could run much better with Python, if it was programmed in Python, for example, then I would be singing its praises. But I, I know Python and I know ladder logic, and I'm telling you, <laughs> ladder logic will win in a machine as far as machine. And it's easier because it's built for that. Okay. Uh, but in web based stuff, it doesn't have a place. So uh, keep. You know, we need to keep things classified where they are. But, uh, but nonetheless, getting back to our training, uh, that's where I think we're different because we we try to give well, – our focus is certainly real, real world, not ac- academia, not mm-hmm. theory. You know, sometimes if I'm teaching a class, I'll go back to the theory. You know, that's why this happens and that happens. Newton's law, every for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is what that looks like, you know, those kind of things. You know, if we're doing motion or motion sizing, those kind of those kind of trainings, but still we focus on real world problems and then the solutions that go with them, and it's because we're trying to empower our customers. But to be what? What are they trying to be? Well, they're trying to be capable of maintaining the systems that are on the floor, capable of of, of maintaining systems that even don't have anything to do with us, but fall in the same guidelines as far as our classifications. So. We may be training on a motion platform, and they're using someone else's motion platform, but the theory, the, the concepts of that are the same. But at the same time, do they need to be programming, or do they need to be troubleshooting? So we kind of try to pull those together as well. Or maybe they need to do a little bit of both. So we try to try to do that. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's really, I think, the difference between an automation company is specifically going to train on their stuff. A university should be more theory and book knowledge. The technical community colleges is going to be more hands-on, but less of the theory behind it, more more repetitious or, or just memorization, if you will. Okay. If this happens, do this kind of thing. Um, and then online courses, I think, are kind of up in the air, but it's according to where you're getting the online course, or I don't know enough to comment um, but but especially, we are able to also offer what I call a cross-platform training. So, so what courses? What's an example of a cross-platform? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we're doing if we're doing our um, if we're doing our our IOTA training, so IOTA its job is to connect the OT, the operational technology, with the IT. Well, there are certain things that we can say we assume you know, but that's not what we want to do. We don't want to assume. I want to make sure you know. And so I'm not going to delve into it in the course, but we're going to make sure that you know that if there's a PLC out there, it needs to have this network set up. So it needs to have an IP address. It needs to have a subnet. What do those things roughly mean? And more importantly, what's it mean when they're not right? Will it work or will it connect or will it not connect? What if it? What does it mean if the IP addresses are the same? Will that work or not work? How can you kind of sniff that out if that's the issue? And then also on the database side, what's a database really look like? Let's boil it down to its most basic pieces just so we can visualize what we're doing when we're moving stuff into the database. You may not be the database person. You probably aren't if you're in our IoT classes. But you're being asked to interface with it. And so it will always serve you well if you understand what the other person's job is, what they're dealing with on their side, and you can kind of converse with them a little bit more. 
otherwise you're speaking two different languages and that's not productive at all. Mm-hmm. So we try to do this cross-platform type, type type deal. So even if even if you're here for IoT training or speci- even specifically I don't I, uh, IOTA training, we're going to touch on this is an Allen Bradley PLC or this is a Siemens PLC or whatever PLC that you might be talking about, Omron, whatever. And this is, you know, on this system, this is how you would set this up because some PLCs set up a little bit differently than others. But just having those quick couple of notes can make all the difference. But actually seeing it connected because we would have a PLC of some sort there in the training. Redline. So Redline HMI development. Well, if you're troubleshooting and doing things and wanting to add some visualization and tools, that's usually what we teach with the Redline. Uh, you're not necessarily starting from a new program, but you're building upon something. But you may have to set up new tags. You may have to set up some new connections to new memory areas on the PLC. So we're going to want to set that up and make sure you know how that connection's made. But it also, a Redline and any HMI must communicate to the PLC. So how can I troubleshoot when that communication stops where the problem is? So you can talk about that all day long, but to demonstrate it, to actually troubleshoot it, you're going to have to have a real PLC and a real HMI there. And then I'm going to do something to it to make it not work, and you're going to figure that out. And so the best way to learn to build a house is build a house. And so the best way to learn to troubleshoot a a system is have someone break it and you figure out how to get it back online. That also comes down to that training. The more uh, efficient that they, you know, that your your maintenance crew is uh, as far as bringing things back online, that's a downtime reduction. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big word right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the kind of stuff we offer. I, I might've spent too much time on that. I apologize. No, no. What, what other courses would uh, Ella Tech University offer? Well, within our, our, our courses, we talked a little bit about the IOT courses. And so that's the OTIT. I'm not going to say it again because you can re- rewind if you want to know what that acronym says. I've already said it. Uh, but, uh, and data visualization. Uh, visualization, of course, we would use uh, either our, probably our Red Lion product for that. Um, and then motion control. So motion control comes in all kinds of different shapes and yeah. sizes, uh, but uh, in our case, uh, that's going to be Yaskawa and usually servo motion. So we might be talking about, you know, if you have to change a motor out, how do you retune it? How do you reset an absolute encoder? What is an absolute encoder versus an incremental encoder? And how do you figure out which one you might have? Um, what do these moves look like? What's the difference between a relative move and an absolute move? And how to kind of glance through an existing program and narrow down what, you know, size up what's happening. And and so when there's an issue, the more you understand how the system works, the more you can understand what things are suspect in the troubleshooting. So not everything we do is just about troubleshooting. It can also include programming, but troubleshooting is always going to be part of it. And again, when we come in and we set up, Usually I don't have to do anything. Usually I'll encourage them to play around and stuff, and, and inadvertently they break the system. And that becomes, <laughs> you know, a, a big, quick class lets you jump in and figure this out. We got a machine down kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And that's just as important for engineers. It's just as important for maintenance. It's just as important for, uh, you know, brand-new onboarded employees uh, to be able to know how to think through a, prod- a problem troubleshoot it and what tools they have on their laptop 
to make that to make that happen. So that's that's the motion control. Vision, uh, vision's a big deal. Vision's kind of a, a magic. It is. Um, so um, the type of cameras you got, the type of lighting you have, what you're looking at, what you're trying to see, what tools are available, how you use those tools. Uh, sometimes vision systems, vision systems are finicky. Not because the equipment's necessarily finicky, but because the environment absolutely is. And so a lot of times vision systems on the machine, if it's a custom piece of equipment, will actually shroud the entire thing so we can control the lighting if it's critical. You have to because, you know, the ambient brightness in the room can change with the clouds, with the cloud cover, certainly day and night, but, but even with the cloud cover. Or they move it or they install a window or they put a skylight in or new lighting or whatever. And so that can affect vision systems. Being able to quickly assess and kind of think, try to think if it's even possible, try to think like a vision system thinks is good, a good skill to to brush up on. Uh, We also, of course, we do the robotics training. Mm -hmm. Our robotics training uh, is we kind of are dividing that to, uh, to programming. But with our industrial robots, we really focus a lot more on maintenance and troubleshooting, how to use different parts, you know, the, the different menus and the pendant, where to go for what, for determining the status of things, but also controlling certain things, jogging the robot, reteaching points, touching up points, those kind of things, resetting faults, um, looking at fault histories. Those are important, and we just have a lot more customers in our region that are asking for maintenance level up type specifically, you know, with specific robot brands uh, within within our, our university. And so that's what we offer there. Uh, if you want intense three, four day programming classes, then we would set you up with one of the many training centers uh, that, that FANUC has or our Yuskawamoto man. The Hanwha training, being that it's collaborative, there are advanced trainings. We offer those here. Uh, and we'll be offering more and more of those. But um, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Not now, if we get a huge push for, you know, we want Yaskawa Motor Man robot training specifically to do this thing, you know, from a programming standpoint, then we certainly can add that to our curriculum. But, uh, you know, we're, we're always listening. Yes. But, uh, you know, we got to have the right components in place, the right, the right equipment, the right mm-hmm. training in place and instructors and things of that nature. But uh, we can't do it all. So... The last thing is, is in, I guess the, the technical term is industrial hygiene. Yeah, explain that. It's really safety. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's making sure everything's safe, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of talk on safety and what's safe and what's not safe. And in the United States, as we learned, season one, one, we talked about doesn't have to be unsafe, and had Dave Rice on from from Data Logic talking about. Uh, we talked about safety categories. We talked about onus and who's responsible and that kind of thing. In the United States, the onus falls upon the end user, and so uh, the end user must decide what is and isn't safe. Now that doesn't mean if you're the machine builder that you're you're, you're shedding liability. You cannot put a machine. You should not put a machine or a robot in place that's not safe. Yeah. You will find yourself in court, <laughs> uh, and you can't just say, yeah, they said it was safe, and walk off. I mean, you have responsibility, but it still falls upon the responsibility of the end user. Our job is to know when to say, no, that's that's not safe. So understanding what really 
options you have when it comes to safety comes down to that. How can you take something that wasn't safe and make it safe? What does that mean as far as safety categories and those kind of things? And so, you know, a light curtain gives you a certain level of safety, especially with robot cells, but then suddenly light curtain won't won't meet your requirements. You're going to have to go with a safety scanner or hard guarding or both. And hard guarding with a safety light curtain doesn't get you this category, whereas hard guarding with a safety scanner does. Those kind of things and understanding how they all put together and then safety scanners themselves, how to set them up. Um, they have to be programmed. Light curtains. Light curtains are, are fairly um, simpler, but uh, but how to do muting, how to do blanking, what's the difference? How can we set that up? How do we make a moving uh, blanked area? Those kind of things and, and how that ties in with your robots or your motion systems or, or just your people and, and interfacing with the things. So that's the industrial hygiene part of things. Okay. Those are the primary courses. Yeah. So what else uh, is Elatech getting into or you've got up your sleeve there, Brandon? Well, we, we have a bigger version of, of, yeah. of this. So all of these are meant for individuals or, or individual companies. And again, they're meant to be, we, we may have a classroom full of, of, you know, four, five, six, 10, 12, you know, pre-COVID, we had 24 seats. We'll get back to that one day after we're a little bit further outside of this Delta variant and things of that nature. But from, you know, of a maintenance crews, first, second, third shift maintenance crews or, or engineers or, or whatever, end user type folks. We, we've also brought in uh, engineer groups from the machine builders that we we work with or that are interested, even some from out of state that we've never, we don't have a relationship with, but they're looking for training. Uh, and that's what those classes are for. But specifically, we have a, a larger training, uh, really, it's, it's, a, it's not just a day class, it's, it's weeks. And it, and it is a true level up program. So it's a program. It's not a, it's not a course. And right now we're doing that specifically for East Tennessee, you know, companies, manufacturers, end users in the East Tennessee region. Uh, and it's it's those type of companies that whether they are, are seeking a means of um, leveling up their current folks or maybe an onboarding process for new hires, things of that nature, it lets us focus on developing really a, it's a certification. We call it the maintenance troublesho- troubleshooter certification. And so it's a multi-week deal. We work very closely with the the hiring, the HR departments, the engineering departments, the production and maintenance departments, uh, specific customers here in East Tennessee. And the goal is to build up uh, within their organizations, build up a skilled workforce that is skilled at to what we call the maintenance troubleshooter level. So what's the difference? There's plenty of, of very, very intelligent maintenance folks out there and they know how to wrench like nobody's business. They've got all the wrenches and the special tools and everything they need for all the mechanical side of things and, and the machine that's on their toolbox. But usually my experience is there's one, maybe two, maybe none that are able to pull out their laptop, connect up to, you name it, the robot, the vision system, the PLC, the HMI, the IoT system, and connect to that and begin to use the laptop as a means of troubleshooting. Not necessarily modifying, but troubleshooting the system. Again, the goal is maintenance troubleshooter. Get out there, be able to handle it, whether it needs to be wrenched or whether it needs to be connected to, and bring this piece of equipment, assess the issue, fix the issue, and bring the equipment back up and online as soon as possible. And so we call that a maintenance troubleshooter. 
And so it's kind of a level up position. And so it's a certification through this multi-week program, but we do it very specifically with our curriculum. And so that specifically is involving companies, manufacturers in, in, in the greater East Tennessee area. And so it's a little different than... Just the courses. Yeah, just a course calendar mm. or something. And yeah. so that's really something if, as we're, we go out and talk with, with area manufacturers, if you, if we haven't spoken with you and you're in the East and greater East Tennessee area and you are a manufacturer, whether you're HR or engineering or manufacturing production maintenance, give us a call and we'll, we'll talk and see, see how we can, we can put it together because it's, it's very specific to that company. Now there's things that are cross company uh, as far as uh, beneficially, but we want to make sure that they're getting exposed to the the things that they would be exposed to. We want them to be able to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about I've got a certification. Now I got to get experience. We want them to come with experience, yeah. and that's what we're trying to give them is that experience. So is there an application process and vetting and all that good stuff? There, there is. Um, again, if we're going, I think if we're going through the the manufacturer, they kind of know who they if they've already got the people who yeah. they, they're doing their own vetting. But if there's openings at some point, I imagine this will be opened up to general public, especially uh, especially retired military, uh, who have skill sets that need to, that are, they got all the goods, they just need to add the laptop to the toolbox yeah. and have the capability to do that. You know, so so you can do that through some of the technical community colleges, but usually those are, Two-year programs, three-year programs, four-year programs. We're talking about a you know six, four to six to eight-week program according to what we're trying to mm-hmm. do. And so um, it's it's not the end of the world. It's it's a you know it's a summer. Yeah. But being able to do that and have that opportunity, there's no other opportunities like that. And so bringing that to the East Tennessee region. We see that as mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Uh, all of this training is mutually beneficial because not only are we training on the – we, of course, we want to train on the products we sell, but by getting our customers trained up and getting that skill set that they need, that's just going to result in more business for us as a company from an Elotech standpoint using these automated products that we sell and promote and, and implement. And so – on the one hand, it, it may seem like it's a giving back, and it is, and that's that's a priority. But it's also, we know, going to be mutually beneficial. It's going to come back around. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's right. That's right. Help our community out. That's right. So so that's basically it. Sounds good. Do you have anything else? Season three is underway. Yeah, awesome. We did it. <laughs> I think this is going to be our 25th episode. 25th? Yeah. Well, that's a good divisible five by five number. <laughs> um, so, yay. I haven't done a sound effect no, you for season haven't. three. Which one should I do? I don't know. I don't remember. I know. I, it's been so long. 25. Season three. Season three. <laughs> uh, well, th- speaking of which, I want to thank everybody for uh, continuing to listen and download. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and all our subscribers and followers. Uh, you probably heard at the beginning of every podcast that I tell you to I ask you to consider following or subscribing. So please do that. Also, if you've gotten, uh, if you like what you hear and you're on Apple, go ahead and give us that five star rating. Is that, did I say that right? That's right. Um, our website is www.elitech.com. All right. 
Telephone number is 865-409-1555. And we are in Knoxville, Tennessee. We serve the state of Tennessee, uh, North South Carolina. We get we kind of go around. But uh, with our training, usually that's beneficial to people here in East Tennessee. However, the last training that well, we had, uh, from we were Florida going from Florida and, Florida and Pennsylvania and yeah, everything. Yeah. So, uh, so wherever you are on this globe, uh, if you're interested, uh, certainly check us out. Check our website out. We'll have our training calendar updated and up soon, uh, and we'll be going from there. Yeah, sounds great. Facebook, social media, LinkedIn, it's all, it's Instagram. It, Look for Ella Tech. Yeah. You'll find us. Yeah. And then, of course, search for Ella Tech on your favorite streaming app, and you'll certainly find industrial automation. It doesn't have to. Beth? Yes, Brandon. Happy first episode of the third season. Happy first episode of the third season to you as well. That was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you. See you.